0: Luke nineteen twenty eight. When he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethphage at Bethany, at the mountain called all of it, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, "Go into the village opposite you, where, as you enter, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it, and bring it here. And if anyone asks you," Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners, uh uh-oh, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they had memorized their lines very well. And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. From this story, I'd like to minister today on this theme. The issue is ownership. The issue is ownership. God bless you. Please be seated. Well, I've got some really, really good news for you today. Today is the day that you won't forget. Today, you are the proud owner of a brand new car. It was not a gift. You bought it. I know we're in the middle of an Imagine Vision campaign. And if you're conscientious, every purchase has been more carefully screened than several months ago. But you needed a new car you just signed a ream of papers in the finance office. The business manager turned the keys over to you uh, through the salesman. The salesman is taking you to the car to explain all the great features of it. Uh, this thing has everything you could imagine in a car. Power, everything. Seats and moonroof. Has that new car smell from deluxe leather. Four-wheel analog braking system in Equipped with GPS navigation, Bluetooth technology, hands-free phone, of course. It's got intelligent cruise control with lane assist to control your life even more, right? a Bose 2 Channel 10 speaker premium audio system. MP3 playback capability. Radio data system with speed-sensitive volume. As you go faster, it gets louder. Intelligent cruise control with that lane assist I was telling you about. Advanced parking, push a button and it parks for you. You know you can't parallel park, but it can. Oh, I know you can, sorry. Just offended four guys in the house. It's got a pre-collision system with pedestrian detection, so you don't hit anybody. We're all thankful for that. No one has ever ridden in this car, not even for a test drive, not even you. The Keys are laying on the center console. The car was remotely started. You're sitting there getting ready to get in your ride and ride away. This is your car. It's the car of your dreams. You're saying your final farewell to the salesman who's been your closest friend for the last two or three or four or five hours. So you hammered out the deal of a decade for you. By the way, we have some wonderful car salesmen in our church. No offense intended. But this man almost lost his job getting this deal for you. You talk to the business manager, the finance manager, the owner of the corporation to get this deal for you today so you could have the car of your dreams. And you're pretty excited about it. You're getting ready to get in your car and drive away. You're so excited. You can imagine the power of this beast eating up miles and miles of pavement. And finally, the salesman quits shaking your hand long enough for you to walk toward your car. But as you look toward your car, you're stunned By what? You see, there's a stranger behind the wheel of your car. He's smiling, waving at you as if to say goodbye. He's revving up the engine, wasting precious unleaded fuel. No, this is not a Tesla. He's sitting in your car. He's adjusting the mirrors to fit him. You're kind of panicking now, so you run over to the driver's side. You're not sure if you should throw yourself in front of the car. Throw yourself on the hood. You're not sure exactly what to do. This guy does not seem to be in a hurry. He doesn't seem to be upset at all. So you motion to him to roll the window down, and he does. And you ask him, Hey, what are you doing with my car? And he says, The Lord has need of it. And he waves, drives away, and he watched the taillights go out of sight. And you're standing there thinking, now that was a good Bible story. It's not so great in real life. You want to know, like, should I call 911? Is he borrowing it? Will I get it back? How many miles is he going to put on it? How long will he keep it? That's my car. But the chauffeur of the car, they didn't have any hesitation at all, just saying goodbye. The Lord has need of it. Now, I don't know about you. You're probably a lot more spiritual than me. But if that happened to me, I would have to really pray for God to give me grace. Because you know this doesn't happen in real life, does it? Have you ever thought about this? In the days of his flesh, Jesus Christ did not own much at all. Most of what he used, he borrowed from other people. He wanted to teach a lesson. He borrowed a boat, pushed it out from shore, and taught from there. He needed to uh, teach in a house. He borrowed a house, and that's where he ate his last supper with his disciples. He stayed with friends like Lazarus when he traveled. One day, he told a prospective follower what Luke 9, 58 records. Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You could say that he was mostly homeless. At the time of his crucifixion, Jesus probably only owned the clothes that were on his back. When they crucified him, they divided his garments. They cast lots for them, and they took even that away. When it was time for Jesus to be buried, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. He didn't even own that. Of course, he only needed it for three days. But on this day that we read about today, it is a triumphal entry in the city of Jerusalem where Jesus will present himself as the Messiah of the world, the King of the Jews. And since he didn't own a donkey and he planned to ride one into the city, his only option was to borrow one. That's the story. Now, in one of the villages near where Jesus was, there's a man who raised donkeys. He, he had donkeys. He had a nice one that had been born a couple years ago. And this colt is progressing nicely. I think it's probably about two, based on when you can ride most riding animals. And uh, so this guy is getting ready to saddle break him, teach him to carry a burden. He's a beast of burden. And uh, once this colt is broken, he can be sold for a profit, or he can be put to work. He's like your kids. He's eaten enough. Now it's time for him to earn a little bit back by doing some chores. That's how he's seeing this colt. He's gonna have to work now that he's just eaten for two years and hasn't done a thing. So that's what's in the mind of this owner. Well, I don't know if you know about unbroken horses and colts and animals like that. They don't like to be ridden. They don't like the weight of a saddle on their back. They don't like your weight on their back, some more and less than others. They're not used to it. And so it takes a patient, pretty tough owner to break a colt, a donkey, so it can be ridden by a full-grown man like Jesus. So that's going on in Bethphage, most likely. Not too far away, Jesus is planning this triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. This is a high point of his entire ministry that will turn into a low point. He now says to his disciples, everything's all set except I need a ride. I'm not gonna walk in the city, I'm gonna ride. He picks two disciples, we don't know their names, two of the 12, and he says, here's the plan. You guys go into this village, this nearby, And when you get there at a place where two ways meet, Mark says, a public place, you're going to find a colt tied there. He's tied because he has to be controlled. He has to have somebody to tie him to the hitching post. Jesus tells them, there's not a saddle, not a bridle. No man has ever sat on this coat. When you get there and you find this colt, I've got some instructions for you. Luke 19 verse 30 tells it. Go into the village opposite you wherein as you enter you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. It is an unbroken colt which is significant to the story in case you haven't figured that out yet. He tells them I just want you to untie the colt and bring it to me. Don't ask anyone. Don't tell anyone. And if Anyone stops you, verse 31, anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Just tell them. The Lord has need of it. See ya. The disciples go into the city. It's a little town. They find a colt tied, just like Jesus said. They're feeling a little conspicuous. They're wearing hoodies. Oh, I don't know about (laughs) that. They untie the colt. And the owners are standing by, not that excited about this sacrificial offering. And they ask, Mark 11 says, what are you doing? Luke 19.33 says, they ask him, why are you loosing the colt? This is our colt, not your colt. What are you doing? But this is what they did. Now, the Bible says that this isn't a public place. The two disciples, any way you look at this, it looks like a theft. They're stealing a cult. Basically, right? And so, when the owners ask, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? They just say what Jesus said. Memorize those lines. The Lord. You do it with a straight face. The Lord has need of it. See ya. And they walked off with the unbroken colt, and the owners let it happen. Whoever they were, we don't know who they were. And they just understood if the Lord needs it, it's His. This principle is pretty clear in the Bible that God is the owner, we're the manager, and if he needs it, we give it to him. It belongs to the Lord. What the owners did not say was, you go, Colt stays, we're calling the police. They didn't go out there and try to take it back. I I don't know how this happened, ladies and gentlemen. I just know it happened just like the Bible says, And the owners let the colt go. And the disciples took the colt to Jesus. And on that amazing day, Jesus rode that unbroken colt. The man who had all authority in heaven and earth sat on an animal that had never been written. And that animal submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It didn't buck, it didn't bite, it didn't bolt. And it let the almighty God of eternity in flesh ride him into the city of Jerusalem where they said, Hosanna. They welcomed their king. This is an amazing story of Jesus, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the story of the unbroken, borrowed cult. The Lord has need of him. Now everything in the New Testament fulfills what was prophesied in the old. And this little Incident is recorded in Zephaniah, excuse me, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. He is lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. That Old Testament prophecy was fulfilled. When Jesus rode that unbroken colt into the city of Jerusalem that day. What an amazing story in the Bible. That Jesus Christ rode that colt and had authority over nature. Now, I want to ask you a few questions today. How do you react when the Lord chooses to saddle you with the ministry responsibilities? Do you say, wait a second, this is my gift and my time, not yours? How do you respond when the Lord wants you to carry his burden? You didn't feel like praying, but a burden of prayer came on you. Or a burden to help someone who needed a friend in that moment. How do you respond when the Lord needs you? And how do you respond on a day like today when we're building the kingdom of God, and the Lord says, I need your money to build my kingdom, do you buck and bite? Do you bolt? Or do you submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ? I hope that we would have a better spirit, even than an unbroken cult, that we would submit to the weight of the burden of Jesus Christ when he trusts us and entrusts us to do something for his glory. Amen. The unbroken cult story and the new vehicle that you thought you were going to get today that you didn't get today are really very similar. Something that you owned, that the Lord needed, that he used for his purpose. The issue is always ownership. You know, the Lord may need your vehicle just a seat or two in it to bring somebody to church with you that's never been saved. They're worth it, that extra seat, that extra time. Some of you have heard this, but I grew up like that. My parents picked up Sister Johnson for 17 years. When I got old enough to drive, we picked up people for church, Johnny and Vince and Hema. We just always did that because that's what we did. You grow up in church as a saint's kid, and you use your stuff for God's glory. It's amazing that the Lord who needs nothing asks us for our time and our talent and our treasure. There should be no hesitation, no resistance, no argument. We know that the Lord owns us. He's the owner. We're the managers. That makes us accountable to God. The issue is always ownership. And when the Lord asks us to return to him what came from him, we're just really returning what God blessed us with. David spoke of this in this famous chapter of the gathering of materials and money to build the temple. First Chronicles 29:14. David prayed, But who am I? And who are my people? That we should be able to offer so willingly as this. For all things come from you, and of your own we have given to you. All we've done, God, is return to you what you gave to us. Now there's something about the Lord that he doesn't really need our stuff. The Bible said in Psalm 50 that the Lord said, I will not take a bull from your house or goats from your fold, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle of a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and all the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I was hungry, the Lord said, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and in all of its fullness. But the amazing thing is that God chose to need us. And God chose giving as a test of our faith and trust in God. That's why we return our 10% to the Lord because it came from him, it goes to him. It is the first step of lordship in our lives and trust that God can make 90% go a lot farther than 100. That's the tie. The test of faith and trust is the test of stewardship. It always has been, always will. Jesus talked a lot about money and its importance in our lives As symbolic of our commitment to him. And if you're squirming right now. Then this is more true than you even know. Because that preacher is talking about money. We don't always talk about money. But when we do, we do. Like today. The Lord has need of it. Brother Drew spoke about this this past Wednesday. Something he felt like the Lord spoke to him about this campaign. That as we release things into God's hands. The Lord replenishes it. I was thinking about, I looked over his notes this morning. I I was thinking about that, Brother Jury. King David gave of all of his substance. I calculated in today's money, when this happened, 1 Chronicles 29, David gave something like $6.6 billion of his own money. But in the same chapter, when David died, the Bible said that David died. He was full of years, and he was full of riches. David died a very wealthy man because God replenished what David relinquished into the hands of God. When Jesus Christ speaks to us, it's always the issue of ownership. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Now this chafes us, North Americans, a lot Because we believe in rugged individualism. But that's not the kingdom of God. The Bible teaches us that we are not our own. For a good reason. Verse 20. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God. In your body. And in your spirit. Which are God's. Paul was teaching some leaders. In Acts chapter 20. The Ephesian retreat. Acts 20, 28. He tells them take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. He bought the church. He created the worlds, but he bought the church. And he bought our soul with his precious blood. Disciples in that early church, that Book of Acts church, they understood ownership very well That's 4, 32, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. That's not an oxymoron. That's not a contradiction. I possess it, but it's not my own. I understand biblical stewardship, but they had all things common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus in great grace was upon them all, nor was there any among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. They owned it, but they sold it. Barnabas was that chief example of a guy who owned possessions. He sold it, and he brought the money to advance the cause of Christ. When I was a teenager reading this passage, I wondered if God would do in the last days of the church what he did in the first days of the church. Because in those days, not many years from this time, Titus, the Roman general, would come in and he would level Jerusalem. Jesus said there would not be one stone left upon another. So what if you owned a house? was was going to get leveled by the Roman Empire why not sell it put the money to work I'm not saying that God will do it I don't believe it is by coercion by a pastor or a spiritual leader but the Holy Ghost may move on you to give something that you're not going to keep anyway and you certainly cannot take it to heaven you can only lay up treasures in heaven by what you invest there you can't give what you don't own but you can give what you do own, and you liquidate for the kingdom of God. That's why in our church for many years, we taught Financial Peace University, encouraging people to get out of bad debt, get out of all debt as soon as possible, the as borrower or servant to the lender, free yourself where you can give and provide and plan for the future and for the next generation. Amen. We believe in that at Atlanta West, at Crushing Debt is not the place for a Christian to live their life. If you're there now, get out of that debt as quickly as possible so you can be a blessing and you can be blessed by the Lord. You see, we believe that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and that the heavens belong to the God, to the Lord, as the psalmist said. But the issue is always ownership. And if the Lord needs my time, it really belongs to God. If God needs my money, it belongs to him to start with. If the Lord needs my life, it belongs to him. If the Lord calls your children to serve in ministry in the kingdom of God, don't plan their life for them and ruin it. Let God design the future he has called them to, whether it be a secular vocation or spiritual ministry vocational calling. My parents lived that out. Wage earners, blue collar, raised us in church. And then my mom and dad got to see us leave to go do the work of God. My wife and I have lived to do that with our sons, to release them into the kingdom of God. Here is God who owns everything but allows us to be a part of his kingdom. He's not trying to steal your car. It's his car that he blessed you with. He's a gentleman, but he really doesn't have to ask. In a moment of time, your breath can be gone, your life can be gone, your possessions can be gone. The pagan person, the Bible said, their life is set in slippery places. And in a moment, all the accumulated wealth of greed is, disappears just like that. That can happen. But I believe the Lord has come to untie us from the hitching post of life where we have all the control and he has none and he said i have need of this and it's time for us as a church to recognize that god is the owner and we're the manager and that we release into the hands of god whatever he asks for without question and without hesitation that's what we're here to do today we're here to return to god according to good stewardship to make sacrifices and to take steps of faith to believe God, to do what we've never dreamed in our lives we could ever do by being a blessing to the kingdom of God. This is a vision campaign to raise money, to build a 1,200-seat sanctuary. That's our project. But the sanctuary is for people like you saw in the video a while ago. The, the, The project is for the kids that are in CHIPS right now that are growing up in this church. It is for the next generation of unsaved people and our kids who are going to be raised here. That's what this is all about. You may have seen this treasure chest in front of the church. On August 31st, 2009, I set a treasure chest in front of the church. There was no giant subwoofer here at that time. I did it for a reason From 1997 to 2013, I have had the privilege of serving on the Global Missions Board as a pastoral board member. We were appointed missionaries for all the UPCI missionaries around the world. In 2009, my wife and I were at the School of Missions. Brother Harry Sism was retired Global Missions Director, lifetime missionary to India. His father, Ellis Sism, gave his life there, came home with broken health. To not even walk off the plane when he got back to the States. Had to be assisted off that plane. Brother Sism was teaching the missionaries. The most sacrificial people I know. He was teaching them about the missionary problem. And he asked them a question. If your support in North America dried up. Would you come home? Or would you stay on the field and trust God? I'm sitting there as a North American pastor. A lot younger than I am now. Listening to this story and asking myself, do I even know what sacrifice is? This brother Sism ministered to that missionary family. Something amazing happened to me that's unusual, but it happened nonetheless. And if you've been here 27 years, you know I don't make this stuff up. The Lord gave me a vision. And I saw a treasure chest much like this. This treasure chest that I saw in this vision was locked, chained. And then I saw this guy. He was hovering over this treasure chest. And he had like a real panicky looked on his face. It was like someone was coming for it. And he was scared to death that someone was going to take his money. And the Lord spoke to me in that vision. This is my church in North America? My people are afraid that I'm going to get into their money and take more than they can afford to give. I was blown away and humbled by what I saw and what I felt. I thought about Jesus watching people give, the rich casting into their abundance, and the widow. Casting in her two pennies, all she had, even her living. It's not a matter of how much you give, it's how much you keep that determines ownership. We were coming home that Friday, and on Sunday, it was our Sheaves for Christ sacrificial offering. Now it's moved the mission. Same project. We're flying home. My wife said, How much do we need to make the goal? Remove the mission. She's for Christ. I said, $7,000. We're $7,000 away. She said, that's a whole lot of money. Back then, it was a lot of money. We had not had $7,000 offerings in our church. And I said, you know what? It's really nothing. Let me tell you what happened to me. And I related to her what the Lord showed me in that vision at the School of Missions. And I said, "I I believe God is going to do, like blow our minds Sunday, whatever I said like that. On that particular Sunday, Brother Robert Tisdale was preaching, and I came up in the offering part of the service. I took about five minutes and I told what I just shared with you. And then I came down to that treasure chest, and I did what I'm going to do now. I, I unlocked it, and I pulled the chains off of that treasure chest, and I opened it up, and I left it just like that and walked away. We went on with the service. Brother Tisdale began to preach. And he preached the message of faith. And as he preached, after a while, Brother Doyle Tanner walked back from right over there. He's not able to attend anymore due to his health. And he put some money out of his wallet in the treasure chest. And and then Brother Josh Austin Sr. came and put some money in the treasure chest. I just remember those two people coming first. And and then it was like a flood of people coming. And our ushers told me that people were going to their cars and getting their checkbooks and coming back in, they were giving offerings, putting them in the open treasure chest. It was an amazing breakthrough day in our church. It's part of the history of this church, of a culture of generous giving, of generosity. In that offering that day, $70,000 was given, $55,000 designated to move the mission. $7,000 was nothing to what God had in mind, and it broke something in our church about giving and about ownership and about what God can do through us. I'm thankful to say that we've blown away those old giving numbers. Last year, our church gave seven hundred fifty-seven thousand dollars to external missions. I said seven forty-four in the first service. Seven fifty-seven since 1996, you have given $7 million, a little over $7 million to world missions to fund the kingdom of God all over the world. I tell you, it's time that we open up our hearts and open to God everything. Thank you, thank you, but please be seated. I appreciate those of you who have come, but the best is yet to come. We're going to come give in just a few minutes. We have been blessed, unbelievably blessed, to be a blessing. That's what God told Abraham I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. God has made us a blessing to bless the kingdom of God around the world. And I appreciate your generosity. But we also are the kingdom of God. And I believe the Lord wants to bless the kingdom of God at Atlanta West. I didn't even think about this till this morning, but we've given seven million away. What if we raise seven million, nine million dollars for imagine to build the kingdom of God? You might think that that's a lot of money, and it is, but I just want to tell you to God it's nothing. He owns everything, and He uses us as conduits. <laughs> All we need to do is untie that cult. We just need to untie ourselves from our possessions when the Lord said, I have need of it. I shared some good news last Sunday. I want to share it again today. Last week, our leadership of our church committed two. Million six hundred forty eight thousand seven hundred sixteen dollars to the Imagine campaign over two point six million dollars. And before we got to last Sunday, it was already over three million dollars. There are three million dollars plus already committed to Imagine. God is enlarging our vision. We're just getting started. We haven't even allowed you a chance to make a commitment till today. We ought to thank the Lord. Five million, seven million, nine million. There is nothing too hard for God if you'll just untie yourself from what you possess and say whatever the Lord asks for. Amen, amen. If I give it, he'll replenish it. That's what today is all about. It's about taking the lock and chains off and not being afraid. I've been afraid before. Not being afraid that God is going to come and ask for more than you can give. It's then that the trigger of the miraculous takes place. And God begins to give good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Amen. Amen. Would you please take the card out of the seat back pocket. No obligation. The card is free. <clears throat> Does not cost you anything to look at it. Praise God. Pray that the Lord would give us faith today that He is more than able. We recognize the issue is ownership, and when we let God be the owner of our life, that He blesses more than we can fast. Amen. So here's this card. This is the giving process. You received an email this morning. If you click the link on that, it takes you to this commitment card digitally online. If you're watching online, if you're part of another uh, apostolic church, we don't want you to, to give what belongs to your church, but we have a lot of our people who watch online. By faith over the next 36 months, that's the wording at the top. I'm going to go through this. Painfully slow, I know you're smart, but sometimes people are distracted. So starting in, in May, that's this month, we're gonna commit to a financial gift above our tithes and offering. It's monthly, annually, one time trusting God for a total 36-month commitment. And then there's a QR code here. Our app also has a giving link where you can make a commitment, you can give now. Or you can leave a testimony. I received a testimony by email yesterday of a family in our church that just received several thousand dollars in money that they did not know they would ever get back. They didn't even know they were owed this money, several thousand dollars. So that's a testimony place. You can do that on the website, on the app. If you don't have our app, you need to download it. It's free, of course. And it's a great tool and a way for us to stay in touch with you. So let's look at this, okay? The first is a monthly commitment. This is like many of us do for Faith Promise and have for 20-something years, for us, 40-something years. Whatever you want to give a month, and you write that number there. That's what my wife and I did. We, we wrote a number that we're going to give every month for the next 36 months. We put it in that first column. And that's based on stewardship and sacrifice and faith. And many of our people give like this. They give because that's how you are paid, bimonthly, monthly, or whatever that frequency is. That's just an easy way to give based on what you know you can give. So if you're making a monthly commitment, that's where you would write that. And these are 36-month commitments, and annually we'll renew this. If in a year you can't give what you committed, you can reduce it. If in a year you want to give more, you can do that. We'll do this annually. Then the second the second rectangle there is for annually. This might be based on bonuses or that you get quarterly, monthly. Some businesses at the end of the year, we have some business owners that they don't really know what they could do until the end of the year and they'll give a a larger lump sum. So my wife and I made that commitment that annually we're going to give a certain amount of money for the next three years. In fact, we gave our first lump sum last year before the campaign started. And then there's this one time... this one-time block. <clears throat> In two weeks, we're going to receive a sacrificial offering. The sacrificial offering will be on that day. If you do it by your bill pay, it will take several days for that to come through. But we're asking because of the amount of money that so many people have already given that you do this through your online bill pay or by a check. We want to we save as much money from fees, electronic fees as possible because we're talking about millions of dollars already committed millions more that will come in in this campaign. So give as smart as possible where the church is not paying that 3% or whatever that may be. Uh, Let's do it smart for the sake of the campaign. But this one time, that might be the sale of an asset or a will or a stock or something that you come in and uh, that May 21st, that might be that or it might be something you do every year. For us, we're going to do that every year. And then there's this block about trusting God for. Maybe this is an investment. Someone told me at the end of the first service they've had an investment that just hasn't sold. It's been just sitting there for several years, and they said, okay, God, if if this will sell, I don't remember if they're going to give it all or a portion, but it's one of those things. Uh, My wife and I don't have a lot of external assets, but we have one thing beside our house, and it's a story that I won't tell now, but we decided we're going to sell that, and when we do, that's going to be our trusting God for. We don't know how much we'll make off of that. But whatever it is, we're going to give to Imagine. That's what that is. So when you total up your monthly commitment, or if you may do it bi-monthly, bi-weekly, monthly rather, an annual commitment, a one-time commitment, trusting God for. Uh, our church has been amazing about collection. Whatever we give, we pay. But this may be a time to stretch your faith for something that God's put in your heart. You have no idea how you're going to get that. We want to have integrity with the way we report everything you do. And If you've been here very long, you know the way we handle money. If you're not sure how that is, you can go back to the last Wednesday of January. You can watch our business meeting. Brother David Jury walks us through how we handle money and give full financial accountability. That total commitment, whatever that number is, if you could write it there. Based on monthly, annually, one time, and trusting God. So I hope you're doing that right now. Give you another moment. You've been praying. I hope you've heard the voice of God. I preached about that last Sunday. But the jury spoke Wednesday on the fact that God is worthy. We've been praying for weeks about this. So today is a day to make a 36-month commitment. We're going to pray and then we're going to stand. And what I would like to ask you to do. I know some people are a little reluctant to walk to the front. You may not be physically able to come to the front. But I'd like for you to just come put your commitment card. Those of you that gave cash offerings, I thank you for that. We're going to do that in a big way in two weeks. But but if you obeyed the Lord, then you did the right thing. and We thank you for that. We're going to bring these commitment cards and we're going to put them in this treasure chest. We're just going to say to God that all I have belongs to you. Amen.